Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brad and choir and praise team. And thank you all your folks being here in this morning. And um, man, it's my honor to be able to preach this morning to you. We want to uh, definitely be praying for our our, our pastor. Um, not, not not trying to, you know, maximize or, or cause great fear or nor undermine what's going on. So we want to pray for him that he recovers and has rest because God is a great physician. Yes. Now, by his infinite grace, he's given us modern medicine. But, you know, we want to pray for our, our, our pastor. Spend some time in the ER and getting some things good and right. And so we want to pray towards those things. And uh, uh, he had texted the staff, whatever. I found out yesterday around noon I'll be preaching. Had a busy day yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Wasn't boring in the Braun house. So, um, but just honored to be able to do this. I told him, I, you know, I'm honored to be able to preach God's word. But, you know, I know we just pray. But we want to start out in prayer. You know, um, God always has a word, regardless of the inadequacies of the speaker or the listener. God is sovereign in all he does and good and gracious to his people and to those who are far from him. He draws them by the power of his spirit, through his word, by the will of the Father, by the blood of the Son. And so this is where we are this morning. So let me, let me pray for us, uh, that God would be gracious to Pastor Michael and his family, uh, but that also God would be gracious to us this morning. Speak to us. Uh, we want to hear from his word. We want to hear from Christ. And so let's pray. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Those are the foundational realities that we find ourselves in you. If we are in you, Lord. God, I pray for uh, Pastor Michael. I pray for his family. Lord, I pray for his health. You be gracious and kind and that you bring healing to his body. Not only give him rest, give him peace as he rests. We trust your sovereign, gracious hand in these matters. Please be kind to him. He deserves nothing good from your hand, but I pray by the power of your grace and your mercy that you would do so. And Father, this morning, as I think about where your church is this morning, God, we, we deserve nothing good from your hand, yet, God, I pray you'd minister to us. We really, really need to hear from you. We need to hear about you, God. We, we need to be changed. I need to be changed. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our, our good friend Tom Williams made the wonderful observation in the early service that I was given short notice, but for a guy like me, that's exactly what I deserve. Whatever. <laughs> the chairman of, yeah, I, I, let's, we want to pray for Tom as well. Let's pray, you know what I mean. Um, we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, but his way is kind of introduction, uh, personal illustration as you guys turn there. Um, you ever been in a place where you just are desperate, you know, you know Christ, you love him, you trust him, you know God loves you and cares for you, but you just, boy, you needed the church of God to minister to you. Like, like you needed words of encouragement, affirmation, you needed God to move in the hearts of people and people just to come and encourage you. To find those really low moments in ministry years past as a youth minister, I, a lot of high moments, a lot of low moments, and one particularly low moment when I lived in Oklahoma, so yeah, is that low, right? <laughs> low moment living in Oklahoma, just needing, oh man, I was just, I was hollow. I knew the Lord, I loved him, but I just needed, I was kind of done. Whatever this world was, whatever this ministry thing was, like, like I, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. 
transitioning out of ministry. I didn't know what to do with my life. I knew God had a call on me. And a fellow named Todd owned a used car dealership called me up. He said, I just, I want you to come to my office. Yes, sir. Showed up in his office and said, you've had a rough time, David. And I just want you to know that God loves you and he sees you. Man, how that ministered to my soul. And to be seen, I mean, I know, I know, right? But to have someone minister to you through the power of the Spirit was just, man, I needed to hear that. He said, David, I know you're going through a difficult time, and even financially, and so I want to help you. He said, I have a safe back here. I want you to just say a number. So I did what any godly person would do. I said, how much do you have? <laughs> I didn't say that. I'd have been I wish I did, but I didn't. I didn't say that. I said, oh, I said, I can't say that. I can't say that. I just begin to cry. So, he, well, he said, I'm going to give you the number God put on my heart. Goes to his safe, opens it up, gives me a large sum of money. I'm just thinking, God, I needed this so bad. So I just started crying. Shocker, he's bigger than me, so he hugs me. I'm just crying in this guy's office. He said, I said I'm so sorry. He said, David, you're not the first guy I've hugged crying in my office before. I thought, this just got weird. You know what I mean? Uh, apparently I'm a, a long list of fellas. Man, how many of us need that? For God to move through someone to say, I, God sees you. He loves you. It might have to be a gift of finances. It can be a word of encouragement and prayer. But just this, hey, 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 God sees you. How many people outside of this room need that? Like they need to see God's people in action like that. I think it would change a lot of things in this world. If we would be willing to show concern rather than just have concern for people. We can have lots of concerns, friends. But it's very different to show concern. We find ourselves in context here. Apostle Paul is writing to the church. He's in prison. He's just kind of affirmed them to be unified and giving them exhortations. So he's going to a moment where he's praising God for them, for what God has done through them. Starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So the word rejoice, even though he's in prison, enjoys is used all throughout Philippians. It's used nine times. I mean, just several verses earlier, this idea of rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Nine times in Philippians it's used by Paul the Apostle to the church. But this is the only time the word greatly, right? Catch it. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived, right? This is what he's saying is that this idea of rejoicing has gone into a whole other level. Not because, according to verse 17, we'll get there. Not because what they have done to Paul but the very fact that God led them to do it. Look, it is one thing for me and you to dance with joy that Christ is doing a work in us. The miracle that me or you would live a sacrificial life for the gospel at all is to his miraculous praise, right? How much more so when you see someone you love doing that? Like, it's one thing for God to sacrifice me and Amy. But to see your son's sacrifice for the gospel is a whole nother dance. I have the opportunity at the church to teach groups and teach things, and I enjoy doing those things. And if God were to use me at all, praise him. 
but it's something entirely different to see people of other teachers in this church be used by God. I rejoice when he uses me, but I greatly rejoice when I hear from a group leader or a Sunday school teacher of what God is doing. His rejoice, yes, he's thankful about what God did through them to him, but ultimately, ultimately, his real joy is the sacrifice that God has done in the lives of the people. And that he greatly rejoices. Because you were indeed concerned for me, but, but had no opportunity. The idea of being concerned and showing concern are two different things. I used to live in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock's a wonderful place to live. If you ever move there, for the first year, they'll hate you. It's true. But if you can get through that, then they'll love you. It's not like East Texas. Everyone here is so friendly, you know. Um, so we were there. We were there past our year and doing our thing. Well, we had got to a point in our lives where we gave tithe and we gave financially and these things. Which, by the way, the, the core of this passage is not about giving, by the way. It's about something else. But we would try to set aside $100 a month. If God laid on our hearts to give someone, that we would be led in that way to, to do that. Well, we had a friend named Chuckaboo. He was a uh, missionary from Kenya who lived in Lubbock, Texas. Worked at our college ministry. And um, Amy came to me and said, I just feel led to give, to give this to Chuckaboo. Okay, this is wonderful. Yes, sure. Okay, well, we talked about it and kind of forgot about it, if we're quite honest. You see, we had concern, but we're, we failed to show concern. A week later, we're at college Bible study in Chuckaboo. Start sharing his story, and he's like, and he was a godly man. He said, oh, it's been a very difficult week for me. He said, I haven't eaten this week. I have no money for food. He said, but I've treated it like a spiritual fast. And, oh, I've grown with the Lord. He and Amy had to go to him and say, we were supposed to feed you, and we didn't. If you are being led to show concern, do it. It is not the enemy that is tempting you to show concern for the body of Christ. I, I tell you what, a lesson learned from the Braun house. You'll ever want to be on the other side when you realize you failed to show what God called you to do. Show concern. Right? right step out. Do that. Say, it doesn't have to be finances. It can be a word of encouragement. It can be prayer. It can be you name it. But, man, don't just have concern for folks. Actually take the... Take the risk and show concern. He presses on. In verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation that I'm to be content. Oh my goodness. So Paul is not only thankful for the gift that they gave, but thankful that God and the gospel is moving in their lives. He's learned the secret of being content in anything. Content is to be satisfied regardless of whatever environment you're put in. I wonder, are you really content? So you don't have the biggest house. Are you content? You're content with the lot that God has given you regardless of the environment you're put in. Your job position your status, it doesn't matter what it is. Are you content? Now, this is what it's not saying in our culture has perverted this idea of contentment. It says this, who you are, be content. If you're a man with haughty eyes and you've got wayward feet, you know what, that's just you. Be content how God has wired you. If you're a young lady that has this masculine idea and you're confused about this, you just be content in who you are and find that. That is not what the text is saying. The contentment lies somewhere else. We'll get to there in one moment. 
It's being content in your weaknesses. Not morally, but just who you are. We all have our weaknesses. I got lots of them. Here's one of them. I can't spell to save my life or the life of my kids. <laughs> Truly. I mean, like, it's profoundly bad. Um, like, I had a lot of issues with it, and so I found myself in a group years ago. I love groups, right? It was with my mother-in-law and, a, and, and, some, and some women. I'm the only guy. It was lots of fun. So I'm sitting there, and, and you know, you want to be vulnerable. You're in group. We say, hey, be vulnerable. Show your weakness, right? Like, just share your heart. So I'm like, okay, I'll take a risk. We talk about weaknesses. I was like, hey, I, I can't spell. There's, there's a lady, she's a teacher. She looked at me, and I'm in college at this time. She said, really? She said, have you tried sounding it out? <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. All these years of embarrassment and shame and frustration. I didn't say, I th th thank you. This is the way it works. I was like, we all got weaknesses, right? Are you content with them? Do you know who you are in Christ, regardless of your weaknesses? We're not talking about moral failings and be okay with them. We're talking about the idea that you and I have weaknesses. Your house is not that big. Are you content? Some of you guys are car truck guys. You know what I mean? It's, so your truck's not that big. Are you content? Why do we always chase the bigger house, bigger dream, bigger car? None of those are bad. It is the idea in our world, are you content? Are you satisfied with a lot that God has given you? Verse 12. Listen to this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Listen. Brought low is the same Greek word in chapter 2 where Jesus humbles himself. He, he goes from heaven to earth. He lowers himself positionally. You guys know how to be brought low? How to be humbled? Brought low in your marriage? Your abandonment? Your bank account zero? Your job's failing? Your marriage is failing? You have loss? You're not valued at home or at work or by your friends. You have all this pain and all these issues and all this lowering. And I'm asking you, friend, do you know how to be content in the middle of that kind of pain? In other parts of the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ, if some of them are not persecuted by the sword, they're given the worst jobs regardless of their ability. You can have the mind of a doctor, but because you're a Christian, you're sweeping the streets. He's saying this, in that moment, are you content? Use the word hunger. It means literal hunger. Hunger pains. I mean, we're so blessed, aren't we? I mean, most of us, our pantries are so full, every so often we got to throw stuff away. Like, oh, that's been in there too long. What is that? It's five years ago. That's probably, probably trash that. We, so hunger is not something that we typically deal with, but it does happen. But this idea of being brought low, hunger, in need, it means falling behind. The Greek word means falling behind. You ever sat with your husband or your wife and looked at your budget? And every month you're falling behind. Every month you're, you're losing, you're losing, you're losing. 
every month your kids are falling behind and behind and behind. And you feel yourself just falling back. You ever been there before? Whether it's finances, relationships, marriage, you name it. Can you be content in the middle of those things? He turns his attention to these. Abounding. It means that you have more than enough. That means you've expected this much and you've been given over the top plenty. It means eating your fill. In, in Matthew, when Jesus fed the thousands, whenever they were all filled up, man, guys, you ever had a Sunday afternoon lunch and you were just filled? Makes God look glorious, I'm telling you. Abundance. Same Greek word for seven baskets left over. You ever lived in abundance? Listen to me. For all of us who live in abundance, wealth does not equal contentment. A lot of times, the more we get, the more we want. There's something in us that does not want to be content or satisfied with a lot that God's given us. we got to have a greener grass, a bigger car, a bigger house, a better job, you name it. Regardless of your situation or circumstance, is Christ sufficient? Billy Graham talked about a story of a man who owned half of an island. He went there to visit. Man wanted to have breakfast with him. This guy had more money. Billy Graham said it was the, it was the wealthiest man he ever sat with. And by the way, wealth is not a sin. Having wealth is not a sin. Billy Graham sat with this man. He said he was the most miserable man he ever talked to in his life. Wealth and money will not give you contentment. Regardless of what's happened in your life, in your world, you can find contentment. Imagine living a life like that. This is how. Watch this. Verse 13, the most abused scripture in all, passage in all scripture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Our Jesus gives real strength to real problems, like on real planet Earth. Right? So Jesus is real. He has real flesh and real blood that was spilt. And he said, I am real food. And he really died and he really rose from the dead. And listen to me, if you're in him, it really, really, it's all going to be okay. He can give you strength to be content while the world around you falls apart. And it makes God look glorious when you stand at peace with a living God and everything else goes away. Listen, friends, if your marriage breaks, your cars break, your appliances break down, you and I will dance for eternity because of Christ. It makes him look glorious. And whenever we have abundance, to say Jesus is all satisfying, but it sure looks like, quoting John Piper here, it's our new phones that give us joy. He is... All satisfying. And in the end of days, when things go bad and sideways, you'll die. And if you're in him, you'll see him face to face. He is enough. He is enough. Because he's real, we can be content. If you're abandoned, jobless, penniless, childless, marriedless, Name it. He is enough. We are content in him. 
we're more than willing to show concern for folks. Listen, it's not the abundance that should enable you to show concern for someone. It's your contentment in Christ. Regardless of your wealth or if you're in abundance or in need, that is not the indicator of you showing concern. It's satisfaction in Christ. When you're satisfied in Him, you're willing to show concern and do what God calls you to do. To do things like this. I'm going to quote from a gentleman named C.T. Studd. What a name, right? You say, must be from East Texas. I probably is, I don't know. This is C.T. Studd here. Let us not glide through, through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets news of our departure from the field of battle. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now that's someone who found contentment in Christ. Listen, is he all satisfied? When he is, you're able to do, by God's grace, Make your kingdom smaller for his to advance. Okay, here we go. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I like the way he phrases that, share my trouble. For all you guys that were really good, there's probably like four of you, like back whenever you were in high school. You ever had your mom sit down with you and say, son, you should go get in some trouble for once. Look, you guys and me, we need to go find some trouble to get into there are lots of people in trouble, and you need to go find and walk and be with them. Man, let's go get in some trouble. There's been families in this church, even recently, oh my goodness, I can't share stories or names or things like that, who have sacrificed so much. They were willing to get in so much trouble. And I'm sitting here thinking, do you know how much trouble this is? And they just keep going and going and going. Why? Because Jesus Christ is all satisfied. That is the root. It is not your abundance that causes you to give. It is the satisfaction of Christ that leads you to get in trouble. So he says this. He said, so you have shared in my trouble. Verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica sent me help for my needs once and again. Notice here, it is about the gospel from the first to the last. So in the very start, it was about the gospel, and you've gone with me all the way and given and partnered with me. Now it's the very end. It is all about the gospel. This church is not about anything else but Christ, his word, and his gospel. It's not about staff or me or finance committee, or deacons, or anyone else. It is always, forever, based and rooted all about him and his glory. If ever this church or any other church ever started to walk towards a place that it's all about me, not church anymore. And one of the things that uh, I've loved about Jonathan, getting to know him a little bit, he kind of had this idea of a humble-hearted guy. It's not about him. Love that in a worship pastor. It's all about the gospel. It's all about him. From first to last. We give and we sacrifice and we show concern. Not that anyone would think well of us, but they all think well of Christ. Rooted in him. 
verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from the man of God the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is what it looks like to live a fruitful life. It means that you and I sacrifice in such a way that our kingdom gets smaller and his expands. One of the beautiful things, one of the many, many beautiful things that God has done through Rock Hill is what God's done in Africa. I had the opportunity several years ago, I've, I've been several times, and you know that I got to preach at a church in Africa, Malawi. About 200 folks in there, all crammed in this village, got to preach. That was the first church that God ever used Rock Hill folks to plant in Malawi. 200 people in there preaching. They said this, they said, we have planted 11 other churches in the last seven years out of that one church. They have. Now look, look, fruitful life doesn't always look like, look at all the stuff I have. You know what it looks like a lot? is actually giving your best somewhere outside of you for God's kingdom to grow while yours gets smaller. Sometimes it looks like resources, finances, people like Wayne Heaton, Jim Hughes go far away from us so, your, so God's kingdom would expand and ours would get smaller. Sometimes it means a smaller building. It may not. Fruitful labor in Christ means sacrifice of our resources and time and energy for the expansion of his kingdom and the, and the retraction of ours. So here, Paul is now abounding. Same Greek word used in the first passage in verse, verse 11. Because Philippians sent a gift, a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. These are Old Testament language. It makes God look glorious. When your kingdom gets smaller and his advances, that is done when Christ is all satisfied. It shows the realness of Christ. We are willing to sacrifice for his kingdom. Because there are trouble out there. There's a story back in the uh, late 1940s. In Russia, the communist uh, regime was really persecuting the church. They would take pastors and put them in Russian gulags. And so there's one pastoral family without a, without a man in the house, husband gone, wife, several kids, and they were starving to death. Dead of winter in Russia. Holy Spirit woke up a deacon. <laughs> Love deacons. Woke up a deacon and said, you go, load your sled in the middle of the night, in the dead of winter, and you go take this food to that family because they're starving to death. Until the Lord, he said, I may not make it back. The Lord said, I didn't call you to come back. I called you to go. When Christ is all satisfying, we're willing to show concern to people at the cost of ourselves. Verse 19 and 20. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. So, when we get into trouble with his kingdom, at the sake of ours, he will supply every need, not want, not want, every need according to his riches in glory. Hey, do we believe his promise? Like, like, do we actually believe that this God of the universe will supply every single need you have, regardless of the pain and issue that you're under, in his riches and glory? Well, let me ask you a question. 
How rich is Christ in his glory? Is there a map or a chart in which I could show that would approximate the depths and width and the height of the riches of the glory of Christ? None exist. Glory means his excellence, his worthiness, his majesty. How excellent is our Christ? And it's out of that depth, he will supply every one of your needs when you sacrifice for his kingdom, he will take care of yours. Do we believe this? Like, when we're not content in him, we try to build our own little kingdom and establish it forever and ever. When we find contentment in Christ, we're willing to walk away from that and say, Jesus, supply my needs while I give to other people. If we are not in a mode of showing concern for folks, it could be that we have lost contentment in our precious, awesome, glorious Savior. Man, we get old fast, don't we? Some of you guys are young, you don't get it. I'm 46, and I'm falling apart. <laughs> Let's go. Man, this goes by quick, doesn't it? Man, like that and it's over. I'm on this planet for like 10 seconds. We want to live a life that glorifies Christ's kingdom and not ours. So I know there's no chart that would come close to representing or approximating the richness of Christ, but there is a Rembrandt painting. This is a picture of the painting. It's about one of, uh, one of the stories that Jesus told. It's art. You think about what this picture is, it's actually a rendition of the prodigal son. How excellent is the glory of Christ? Me and you and our filthy, awful, stenchy sin brought close to God by the blood of Christ. How excellent is his glory? Listen, if he was willing and able to forgive me and you by the cross of all of our sin and our stench and our wretchedness, then would he not be willing to give you anything? What would stop him from supplying every need according to his riches in glory? Do you believe his promise? Do you believe him? Do I believe him? So as we close, maybe as a response, maybe you need to tell someone that you greatly rejoice in Christ because of how they've lived. I feel like that happens enough. I mean, you need to be active. Like, okay, like, don't just think about these things. Do them. Like, what would it look like if we regularly shared, I'm so praising God for you and what you do and how God's used you to encourage the saints. Maybe for some of us, we need to repent and confess that we are not content in our precious Christ. That if we're honest with ourselves, we're chasing everything but him. There needs to be a confession and repentance do you not discern 
the spiritual oppression of this country and this community that pushes on the people of God and on his word and against this church and on this service and in your home. Everything in the world is calling us that you are not content in Christ alone. That we would repent and confess these things. For some of us, man, we've been hurt so bad. It's so hard to find peace with Christ because of the pain that we've been under. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's this moment of going to our Christ and say, Lord, I need to exchange my hurt for your strength. Our God is so kind. He'll do it. Guys, we all have our weaknesses and our pains and our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups and you name it. I wonder if you would have the courage either in your seat or coming down and say, I just need to exchange. God, if you would be so kind to take this pain from me and give me your strength, it would make you look glorious. And as the praise team makes their way up, lastly, maybe for some of us, we need to find some trouble to get into. There are lots of people in trouble. You don't got to look real far, do you? <laughs> you know what the best place to find trouble? Find you a group. They're all troubled people. I'm, I'm in lots of groups. We're, we're troubled people, you know. I wonder if you would do that. I wonder if you would, I don't know, find the commitment level and what that looks like and say, I want to get to know people so I can get in trouble with them. I wonder what that would look like in your life. Maybe you're in a group or you're involved with stuff, but you haven't been open and honest about people with where you are, your hurt and your pain. For some of us, man, some of you guys, I think, have a bone to pick with Africa. And you hadn't done it yet. If we learned anything from the pandemic, the powers of this world can actually shut a country that's open right now. Regardless of whatever trouble that you are called to get into, can I just ask you this? We'll be a people of the doer of the word and not just a hearer only. <coughs> Another way to get in trouble? Why don't, you, uh, why don't you love on old Pastor Michael Kreiner? It's a good way to get in some trouble. Love on him, encourage him. Send him a letter, or no, a letter. Who does letters anymore? So I apologize. Uh, send him a tweet or whatever, but you know what I mean. Love on him, encourage him, reach out to him, right? Let me, let me pray for us and respond however God leads you to respond in this. But don't just be a people who sits on God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your infinite grace to those of us who are in you. You are all satisfying, God. And if I have ever lived a moment of my life showing a world that you are not, I am so sorry. I, God, I repent of that. Christ you loved me and you forgave me of the most awful, wicked, wretched things imaginable. How could you not give me anything? Oh God, we love you. We don't love you like we should. The world pushes hard against us toward a spiritual oppression. A weariness, a sleepiness has settled over this land. Oh God, protect us. That we'd find our contentment and passion in you. 
that we would be a people that show concern. Not just have concern, but we would show it. God, have mercy on us, Lord. It's, time goes by so quick. Find us faithful with what you've given us. And out of our contentment, I pray that you would make our kingdom smaller and you advance yours. Please have mercy. Do these things in Jesus' name.